Well, hello. Welcome back, everyone, to Life on Side B, where we talk about the joys, beauty, and challenges of living according to the traditional sexual ethic as LGBT and same-sex attracted Christians. Um, we have a very heavy conversation coming your way today. Uh, I'm actually joined in person by someone today, Christian Johnston. Hi. Hello. Um, so... Today, we are actually going to be talking about sexual assault and sexual harassment. Um, I want to give an initial warning to everyone listening. Um, this is going to be a heavy conversation, as I said, and I want everyone to be to understand, warning, warning, if this is a topic you do not feel that you are ready to listen to, whether by your own experience or something, please do not feel the need to go ahead and listen to this. You can push, push stop, go to the next episode go listen we want you to listen to this conversation in the time that is needed for you um but we're going to be talking about personal experiences general experiences all of these kinds of things um but we want to be able to, to have this episode be an encouragement for the people that need it um for people to know that they are not alone um and to look at what it looks like going forward in dealing with these very real issues um that are in our our community um but i guess to start since you know we're here with becca again hello becca hello and brandon you know you worried if you were going to be brought back you're already back i'm already back girl already here. back i'm I here know. <laughs> giving us the therapist voice you know <laughs> um but, you know, since Christian, this is um, your first time on the podcast, could you share with us a little bit about how you identify, maybe a bit about how you've come about in your journey of, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, okay, well, hi guys, my name is Christian. I am from Georgia, down the lower US. Well, my sexuality story, to be very brief, being in the deep south, I worked in a mom and pop store and I had this young redneck guy that always came in without a shirt on. And months and months of this going by, I finally got to a point where I realized I have to admit it, I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> so I had this coming, uh, this reckoning with God in the car on my way home where I nearly ran off the road, crying, talking to God, saying, okay, I'm gay, what do I do? And uh, that started a month, several months processing on my own with the Lord, sitting down with my door locked going, okay, what does this look like? Um, if I'm gay, how do I approach this in my faith? Mm. Uh, so I identify as gay. I think though, when I'm in certain context, I will also say same sex attracted, but it's a phrase I don't really like that much. And the process of coming to where I'm at today mostly had to do with me sitting down in the word. I was also in seminary at the time. So I thought I had a pretty good approach to hermeneutics and, um, well, you know, in reading in the word, so I worked through that and found a few resources. Back then, we didn't have nearly as many as we do now, I think. And I'm glad that we have mm -hmm. the ones we do now. But that's how I kind of got where it was. Sweet. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, we're coming to you from Georgia, so you might hear some of those redneck trucks in the background. That's right. It'd be so much fun. Watch, now that I say that, it won't happen. But My well, neighbors are pretty consistent. I mean, I wouldn't mind that. But, you know, well, I mean, I wouldn't mind it not happening. But, you know, okay, so... We're here talking about sexual assault, sexual harassment, especially within the queer community itself and within the side B community. Um, and as I said, you know, we're going to be talking about a little bit of some personal experiences, some um, just broader experiences in that. But, you know, Christian is, you know, Christian, you're here to share and I'm like a bit about your own experience. Um, and could you... I guess just start by telling us a little bit about what you'd like to share. Sure. It's something that's been on my heart, I think, for the last year and a half, particularly. Um, let me give some background context here. I was doing mission work in Eastern Europe for a few years, uh, I guess about 2017 to 2019. And near the end of 2019, I came home under-supported. Um, while I was home, I decided to try and meet up with some Side B people. You see, back while I was in Poland, I first encountered the Side B world and connected through several of the groups on social media. And 
realized most IB people were based primarily in the United States, so it didn't provide a lot of opportunity to yeah. make close friends um, that were in a physical capacity. Mm-hmm. So while home, I thought, well, why not go ahead and uh, meet some more Side B people in person? And where I'm located around Atlanta, there happens to be so many Side B people that it just made sense to, to connect with some of them. Unfortunately, that doesn't always go well. So I, I had this one particular guy that lived closer to me than others I had reached out to. And I asked if he'd be interested in getting coffee to connect, um, just in a friendship capacity, right? We're side B, let's connect on that. Uh, we met for coffee, he seemed like a very normal guy, had some similar experiences in life. So I thought, okay, we'll definitely connect again. Over the next three times meeting together, we were in different contexts. We went hiking with his dog, uh, did a bonfire with his family and friends, I invited him to something with my pastor's family. We did, we did a number of things together that that led me to believe, okay, we're building a, a base level of friendship and in context that, that we're around other people. And in general, I think I'm a very good read on people. And so yeah. it was a bit overwhelming when the fifth time, I believe, we were going to hang out together. I went to his house to have dinner and uh, that's the night that he raped me. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing all that because I know that's really hard. And like, I've been really, we've been talking a lot about doing this episode. And actually something I forgot to mention with this is that, you know, our patrons, this is one of the episode topics that they chose they wanted, you know, for us to talk about. Because I think that it's a real experience that happens to multiple people. But Obviously, it's something that very few feel the ability to speak up on. So I first want to thank you for, like, sharing that and just this whole entire, you know, topic and this whole entire conversation. Um, And I, I think that it's something really important for us to talk about because of how, as I said, it happens to multiple people. It's even something that I have experienced in, like, my own life. Um, So mine is not within a side B context, necessarily. But, um, you know, I've shared my story many times on this podcast. One one area of my life that I've hinted to, but I've never really discussed yet, um, is that I did sex work um, for a period of time. And while I was with a client, I decided I no longer wanted to have sex while in the middle of having sex. And I was threatened by that client that um, if I did not continue, that they would go ahead and rape me. Um, I continued. um, And it wasn't until years later that I really realized what I had experienced was sexual assault. I had thought I was taking power over it by saying, sure, we'll continue. But I was doing so knowing that if I didn't, that that was what was going to happen. Um, and I think that that gets into us into a lot of topics of like consent and what does consent look like and all of these different kinds of things. And also, if, for instance, in, um, in like my situation, is it my fault because I put myself into that situation as a sex worker? Like that's what I thought for a long time um, and going through it. and. One reason why I'm really glad to have you on talking about your experience and like me sharing a little bit about mine is like, especially we don't hear a lot from men on this topic um, very often, but yet it's especially something very, that happens more, I don't wanna say often, but more often than we would think, especially in the queer community. so, you know, Becca, Brandon, whoever would like to go first, I, w- I would love to kind of bring this over to you guys. Um, what, how, do, how do you see the current reality of sexual assault, sexual harassment within the broader queer community and more specifically within the side B community? They're good questions. Um, overall, it seemed, I mean, just doing a lot of reading and a lot of listening the last few years that 
allowing for more open conversation has helped reduce some of the experiences of assault yeah. that people have talked about. Um, just bringing things into the light always helps deal with things like that. And when you're not spending a life hiding, um, that does help reduce the instance of, of times that people may feel the need to experience or to force things just because they're living in the, the darkness. Um, the other thing that comes across with that, though, is the fact that power trips are power trips, and it doesn't matter what is going on in somebody's life. Um, somebody that wants to exert power over somebody else is going to do that, no matter how healthily people are attempting to live and how out and transparent they're being. Um, Christian's story is a prime example of that, that we can do everything right as far as what we think is right in a situation like that and people who are going to take advantage are going to take advantage and so there's no um there's no quick fix or perfect solution um mm -hmm. that i think sometimes people optimistically hope for of well if we can just normalize the gay experience then this is not going to be a problem and you can see that that's that I mean that's just not how humanity in our fallen state works and so still being able to have these conversations to help people understand what they've experienced like jo what Josh was talking about giving people the words to know um, and being able to to work through those things um, is going to be I think the positive that we see coming up um, in our community is just how do we deal with this how do we help people uh, who have experienced this and how do we help one another heal? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I really, really love that. I really love that Becca. And, you know, goes without saying, of course, I know, you know, from Becca and myself, Christian, thank you for sharing your story and Josh, thank you for sharing your story again. And, um, you know, for anyone that is listening, you know, to, that is holding this space and feeling something and remembering something or wondering about something, um it's okay to not be okay i guess is the saying and it's okay to wonder you know what has happened and what the impact has been on your life as a result of someone um or something ha happening to you um that you were not in control of and felt helpless and powerless and becca something that you said you know is, is really important here which is power is a really important thing that we need to understand um, or at least need to acknowledge that mm. when something like this is going on, power is taken, um, agency is taken in a moment. And even if it's not physically taken, it can be psychologically taken. Mm. It can be mentally and emotionally taken and withdrawn from a person just depending on what's happening. and and depending on the strength of the manipulative power, you know, that's going on in the instance. Um, Josh, I think your story is, is, is a prime example of all of that. It was a psychological, emotional manipulation um, that resulted in a power difference in, in your body, right, an actual physical power problem. Um, and the same thing with you as well, Christian, you know, but I have a bit more like abrupt, you know, probably it sounds like, you know, it's just taken. So the question of, of, of what's going on maybe in, in this arena within the side B community. There are so many things I think that I can say. So let me just throw out a few different scenarios that are very yeah. triggering here, right? And, and then I'm gonna root it, I think, in, in what I think of a theory of what I think is, is going on at the human level. But we're dealing with stories like what the two of you said. Then you've got, um, pastors, leaders who are struggling with their identity, who oftentimes use their power in a way, right? That has happened to many people, right? Um, uh, where that power has been used to take away another one's power and agency and using spiritual manipulation. That's something that I think we're experiencing often in the side view world. And it isn't spoken because we haven't named it, we haven't acknowledged it, we haven't defined those types of experiences, so it makes it really difficult to say that it, that you went through it, 
right? Mm -hmm. And that would be in, a, in the broad space of sexual assault anyway, but now we're thinking in, in, in a pretty niche area. Let me yeah. flag something yeah. else. Shame in the side B community is paramount anyway, you know, because, you know, um, uh, Christian, you said it, you know, driving in the car and having a conversation with God and saying, now, what do I do? You know, that type of shame and going through all of that also makes us really susceptible, you know, to power differences, right? And uh, which I think is pretty, pretty challenging, you know, to navigate through, but shame is, is a really important driver of, of subordination. Um, and uh, we have to be really careful about that, but shame and fear kind of runs rampant, you know? Um, and that leads us to this third point of self-loathing and self-hatred um, that's in the side B community where we um, don't have a really great lexicon or a language about how to talk about our own value as individuals not um, much much less as a community and, and and it's hard to get value from a from a doctrinal yeah. community that really helps to define value and um, where language certain languages is, is being used whether it's gay or lesbian or whatever it is right so a lot of that value is being stripped or at least it's always being combated against so briefly I think that what's happening with a lot of folks um, whether you've been um, someone who's experienced, sexual assault or if you are a person that's been the abuser um it's what i call a disintegration problem and here's what's happened i think in american christianity period is a um the mystification of sexuality period whether you're heterosexual or homosexual whatever your language is around that and we've tended to isolate i am this person over here and i have to behave like a christian here and then i've got this sexual impulse and drive that I can't integrate with my spirituality. And for some people that ends up being a really difficult thing where, where there's pre-existing trauma or the impulses that are being kind of repressed and pushed down and not talked about, not expressed um, verbally, not necessarily that you express those impulses sexually, just depending yeah. on, on, on where you're at. But but it is to say that there's an issue with our lack of integration as people where, where our mm -hmm. sexualities are part of our spirituality, because it becomes really, really difficult to trust people um, who, um, or rather, we think that we can trust people who appear one way, and then all of a sudden, they Gemini us, right? And something else mm -hmm. happens, and the disintegrated part of them shows up when they are triggered um, sexually or in their orientation, something happens. And, um, and, and and let me be clear that sexual assault is not dependent upon your orientation, right? That your particular yeah. orientation is, has nothing to do with whether or not you're mm. going to get assaulted or whether or not you're going to be the abuser, which is something that I should add that as a fourth or a fifth point on things that are happening in the side B world, right? Um, that mm. factors into that shame piece. Anyway, all of that is to say is that we have an identity issue going on inside the Christianity, whether you've been abused or whether you are the abuser or both, right? Because that's also happening, okay? Um, and we have an integration problem. I think it's identity and it's integration. And then I'm going to add an H, we have an honesty problem. And Josh, you named it, that we haven't defined it. Um, we, we don't talk about it. We, we definitely don't talk about it in, in, in a normative way in terms of hetero, heterosexual challenges and women in the church and things like that and power differences. And we don't talk about how some of those hetero norms shift when you start talking about um, uh, uh, homosexuality and in particular with men who identify as same-sex attracted or gay. Um, and that's a whole different tunnel rabbit hole that we yeah. may not want to get into here, but there's a lot going on there with gender roles and you know, mm -hmm. whatever, and effeminence and all these different types of things, you know, that people feel like they can take advantage of. But all that being said, we need the gospel. And Yeah, know. that's so good. I know one of the hardest parts, I think, with this conversation is we're not going to get to every detail in this episode. Yeah. It, there, this is literally, I think more than anything, we want to be able to just to acknowledge this reality. Right. We're not going to solve it. We're not going to be able to do any of that. But I love both of y'all's points, but do you, do you have any thoughts you would like to share, Christian? No profound thoughts after both of their sharing, but I, I would add, um, on top of what Brandon was just ending on, it has struck me in the past year with how many people I'm sharing this part of my story with now, how many of the men in our community have experienced the exact same thing mm -hmm. yeah. or yeah. something very mm -hmm. similar. 
-hmm. and many of them are not at a place where they feel like they can even acknowledge it or admit it or say anything about it to anyone because there's so so much shame bottled up in there there there's yeah. so many things that that they need to be able to do to work through it themselves yeah. which I, I know we're going to touch on later so i was just going to add that I, it's been my experience now just sharing my story with the handfuls of people that i have that person after person is coming to me saying oh my god you're you're saying this and this is exactly what i went through a few months ago and thank you so much for yeah. speaking on it because no one else is so yeah it's it's absolutely something that we need uh, even as a broader church to be discussing sexual sexual trauma does something very painful and deep to the soul it's it's mm -hmm. tearing mm -hmm. uh, it leaves lasting ramifications so yeah yeah, yeah. i i love everything that's been shared like i one thing i was talking to someone about last night um that i think is so good was i, I think as i begin to understand more of this conversation of sexuality and faith i'm seeing how much like even the conversations we have on this podcast are sub conversations of the larger conversation of unraveling the effects of purity culture on Christianity. Yes. It is part of that broader conversation. I think this yes. is also in that same way, part of that conversation, both on the sense of just as you were saying, Brandon, like the, the mysticism of sexuality that we have these things and we can't talk about it. We can't face it. We can't deal with it in a very broad understanding of sexuality. And then on top of that, when things happen to me, because therefore I cannot process my worth, my value in relationship to these things. And even subconsciously church, because of that history of purity culture wants to put worth and value ratings based on these experiences, both on victims, on, on all of these, uh, all of these things, these survivors, everything. Um, but, you know, Brandon, one question I'd like to ask you for more of a, therapist, you know, like, um, uh, perspective, because is, I, I would really love to more clarify for our listeners, we're talking about these terms, sexual assault, sexual harassment. Um, how would you define these terms? Like, because many times we can throw them around, we, we may not understand the nuances of some of this stuff. Like, could you give us just some thoughts in that realm? Of sure. Things? Yeah. And, and, Becca may have some 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 thoughts yeah. here too. There's there's a, yeah. a range, you know, of understanding here, um, colloquially or culturally, you know, when it comes mm -hmm. down to, um, you know, a misunderstanding of intentions or misattribution of intentions, you know, when two parties are, you know, um, uh, going through, um, what whatever maybe they're I'm just giving a really poor example, you know, under the influence of whatever, and then. Yeah. You know there are ways in which you can discredit you know a person's situation you know mm -hmm. um all that being said that the definitions you know there are legal definitions for these things and there are psychological definitions for them and, and they're largely the same um and i'm probably going to butcher them exactly but let me just say what my thoughts are you know about them when it yeah. comes to harassment um you know there's a range there for harassment from um making some innuendo, you know, to a person making physical contact, you know, with them that's unwanted um, um, or for too long of a time, an inappropriate time. Um, and those incidents can be repeated over time, right? So this yeah. is more the context of the Me Too movement where we talk about sexual harassment. Um, um, you know, there are some of the accusations, you know, where Governor Cuomo allegedly did you know, X, Y, and Z over a period of time um, or, you know, certain, even talk, I won't even mention their names, you know, these major figures, you know, who have done yep. things over a, a period of time that were short of, um, but sometimes really inclusive of the, the misconduct of assault in and of itself, right? So I would say within the range of sexual harassment, there is a piece here that is very definitive, right? When we're talking about assault, right, we're talking about someone forcing themselves onto another person and having intercourse with that person either orally, um, vag vaginally or anally, right? Um, in, in a way that is um, unwanted, undesired. Um, yeah. uh, a person has said, no, I do not want that. Um, and that is not the only condition through which sexual assault can be ascertained or assessed, right? Mm -hmm. Saying no, great, sometimes, you don't get to say no, and it's still yeah, assault, 
right? Um, sometimes you lock up, you seize up, you don't say anything, right? And sometimes people are actually held and they cannot speak, right? Mm -hmm. And cannot make their like intentions known. And let me give some other context here as well, that sometimes you leave the situation <laughs> and you wonder what really happened, right? It's still assault, even if you yeah. left, right? It's mm -hmm. still assault when you left and you didn't, and if you, and it's still assault two years after the incident, right? Mm -hmm. Now, legally, there could be statute of limitations on some of this stuff, yes. depending on where you live, but either way, the mm -hmm. incident in and of itself is still assault, right? You know, so forcibly against your will, um, um, and there are even elements of coercion in this, you know, where it's not like you wrestled with the person, but they emotionally or spiritually or psychologically manipulated you into a certain position, right? So yeah. um, those things are are a, a, a little different. I say that harassment, there's more of a, a spectrum of understanding and, and by case by case assessment. But assault, we tend to have a, a more clear understanding of, but it still can get tricky, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think such a big thing about this is like that question of consent. Mm -hmm. And um, like, for instance, that was a big thing for me in my situation was like, well, did I consent? Like, and there so many times, even with the, I think that's where it can get like so crazy for people to go, oh, well, unless someone's like forcing someone on you, that's not assault. But many times there can be the lack of consent, the right. assumption that as long as you are not saying no, like there's, I, I think many times, especially when you get into the queer, like the broader queer community situation, because I think that, and I would say more in the gay male situation, um, is that many times there is an assumption that because everyone's man, there is a assumption of consent until otherwise stated. Mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. we're all men, we all want sex. And this is a generally understood thing many times in gay male situations. Um, and I think that that has been even something that has that I've heard, like, as Christian said, I hear so many times of, of similar stories among people in the side B community. And maybe if it's not sexual assault, sexual mm -hmm. harassment, unwanted, unwanted advances, all of these different kinds of things. And I think some of those things can be related to the suppression, like these kind of things that happen inside B, like the suppression of, of talking about it and all these things. But I think some of that is also a narrative in the larger gay male community that is a real, like is sadly a reality within the broader situation. And I have seen in, in that broader situation. Um, but related to this, uh, continue on that, Becca, did you have any other thoughts on that? The, 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 yeah, a couple of things. Um, looking at it just from a female perspective, that idea of consent, there was an article um, in the New York Times, I think it was last month, that uh, was a woman talking about the fact that she's been processing this idea of consent and that she realized that she had spent a lifetime um, just accepting unwanted touch that she hadn't consented to, um, mm -hmm. that this year of isolation with COVID and she realized how little she was being touched by other people, but that it wasn't necessarily bothersome to her mm. that she realized I've been allowing people my entire life to touch me and I didn't give consent. It was just an wow. assumed basically that people that we just touch each other whenever we want to, however we want to, and that that's okay. And the, um, the campus where I'm working at school right now, they have um, consent has been an idea that they've been pushing with undergrads uh, for this entire year. And every bathroom you go into gives a definition of what consent is on the door, um, which I mean, you don't have any, <laughs> anything else to look at, I guess. Um, but it talks about the fact that consent is, um, it should be verbalized, it should be constant, and that it should be enthusiastic. That not saying no isn't consent. Mm -hmm. That it, it should be something that is willing and enthusiastic and constant. That, mm. And that that is not, that shouldn't be unusual. Um, and I really appreciated that, that, you know, I remember even just in my college undergrad days that I had so many friends that were 
that found themselves in situations that to start off, they were cool with it. And then as things progressed, they wanted to be able to put the brakes on and felt yep. like because they had said yes at the beginning, yep. they weren't really allowed to say no. Mm-hmm. And developing a culture of saying at any point during this encounter that I want this to stop, you should have mutual respect for one another to be able to say, okay. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's an entire conversation talking about you said gender roles and just the the picture and theology of sexuality in general um of what that looks like and how you build trust Mm -hmm. in a situation to be able to say no when you're not comfortable Mm -hmm. um but yeah it 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 can possibly look different from a female perspective um we did kind of a poll in a group that i'm in on facebook um asking uh women if this was something that they encountered and in a group of, I think there's like a hundred, 110, something like that. Um, we had a couple of dozen women that responded and said that they had never so much as received like an unwanted advance in private messages on Facebook or on mm-hmm. Twitter that there wasn't, they, they didn't experience unwanted advances or, really much of anything from other side B women and having a lot of side B male friends realize that that is a very different experience because the guys talk about it like it's just par for the course. I mean, if Mm -hmm. I'm going to be new in a group, Mm -hmm. if I'm introduced to a a whole bunch of people, I'm just, I just know I'm going to get a whole bunch of pictures of body parts and questions about wanting to hook up. And like, it's just this, understood subculture within the side B male community and the overwhelming response from the women was just heartbreak. I mean, just Mm -hmm. couldn't imagine trying to find a place to be safe and to live out an ethic that is already hard enough in and of itself without being constantly barraged by temptation and propositions. Um, of just wanting to know how how to help our brothers who are having to face that. Um, do we make ourselves available to be a listening ear? Is it just a matter of talking about it to say, hey, we know this is happening and we want to be able to support y'all and to help? Um, that, that was the biggest question that came back from the women that participated in the poll is, mm. what can we do to help our brothers deal with this? Yeah. Yeah, that's really good because that's something I've been thinking a lot about in preparation for this episode is like i know in gay male spaces as i said this is many times sadly a reality that you just you get used to sometimes yeah and um wasn't sure in the side b women's you know spaces is is there anything of like unwanted advances that even happens and and i i do think that there is something culturally that happens and that I I think in some ways our culture naturally prepares women to deal with male sexuality in some ways. Um, How to protect yourself when you're walking down the street, Mm -hmm. how to cover your drink when you're in a bar, um, because you don't know who's going to put something in, Um, how to deal with messages, how to deal with interactions. Like there's, not a course necessarily always, right. but it's a natural thing that women teach, mothers teach their daughters. And I think something hard, and again, I don't think that this is just side B. I think that this is a gay male experience. Men are not taught those things. Right. And then when a gay male goes into a gay male space, they are not prepared for the fact that many times, and I and I'm also I also don't want to point that it's only men that commit right. a sexual assault because I do know males that have been assaulted by women, so it is possible. Okay. But on average, a higher amount of people that commit sexual assault are men, and so it happens more often in those spaces. Yeah. And naturally, gay men are not prepared for that until they have to learn it on their own, until they have to learn that wow, I do have to watch someone putting something in my drink. I do have to watch someone 
making unsolicited advances. And um, even if it's just the fact of, like, as you said, getting unsolicited body part pictures <laughs> in messages after a simple text, hi. Like, yeah. and that doesn't just come from side B people, that comes from all, but it it is sad, I think, that as you said, in a realm where it's already hard enough to live according to your convictions. And, you know, I think one day we'll talk about the whole other side that I think sometimes celibacy can be messy as you're figuring out what it looks like. And you're yeah. having, you know, mutual sexual encounters as you're trying to figure out what it looks like, you know, you pursuing celibacy can be, can be messy in that realm, but that's a whole, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but I think that with this, it's sad that following a conviction that's so hard in and of itself than having these realms in that. Um, but I, I love that you brought up a little bit of the male versus the female experience, because I, I think that that is a really important yeah. distinction, especially as you said, the woman who had the experience of just realizing how much unsolicited touch she had just been experiencing, which is a huge female experience, I think. Um, yeah. Christian, can, do you have any thoughts? Oh, go ahead, Brandon. Yeah, can I jump? I think because you, you mentioned something, Josh, and it's really important about the role, right? I think that we have uh, unintentionally or intentionally, you know, taught women to play in the context of, you know, male-female relationships. Let's actually flip that a little bit too and talk about the role that men, like young boys, are expected to play. Are these roles of dominance, right, in relationships, yes. power dynamics, right? I mean, mm. you um, and 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 I'm not so much in this like you know super woke culture in a sense, you know, but I think there is something to. Um, I am woke. I'm just not a super woke. Um, <laughs> um, I don't wear a cape about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't wear a Batman costume and parade my wokeness around. But you know, it's like I I I think um, when we're playing with, you know. Um, you know, I don't know, GI Joes versus Barbie dolls, right? I mean, there's something in that. Let me actually get a little bit more specific with that. Why is Barbie, Barbie and her personality, as opposed to Ken being like Barbie and his personality, right? Like we don't picture mm -hmm. Ken as Barbie. We picture Ken as Ken, as very, you know, tall, stature, very dominant, very strong, very desired, right? Now imagine that you are that way as a man, a heterosexual man, a homosexual man, and you are able to enter into that space feeling more dominant, feeling more confident. But then what if you actually have something broken in that perception of self, right? And you end up coming out a little bit more shy, you know, a little bit, I don't mean like submissive, I mean, just like just shyer and just yeah. softer and, and more sensitive, right? And, 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 um, and unsure, right, about your sexuality and your place in the world a dominant person, right? Let me throw a layer in here for you. So hold on, who is experiencing orientation that they don't understand, right? Mm -hmm. Or that they do understand whatever it is and that overcompensates in what they feel like is a loss or a, a mm -hmm. dearth of masculinity in them, right? Will sometimes show up in a space with another gay man, you know, same sex attracted man who is tender and, and, and softer and more um, and, and working things out in, in a way, right? Just a kind, empathetic person, right? Who is not ascribed to the cultural dominance, you know, that has been ascribed, you know, that men are say, you know, that is put on us to, to actually be. Mm -hmm. And then you find ourselves in this wrestling place of like, okay, like, what is, like, what's my role in all of this, right? What's my role in this interaction? And there's nothing wrong with being softer, tender, you know, not, a type A monster, you know, or whatever it is, you know, who's yeah. just very much like, let's get, nothing wrong with being type A. Being type A doesn't mean you're a monster. I mean, type A, and then you're a monster, right? But I mean, <laughs> in addition to being type A, you were then also- In addition. God, in addition, you were also Godzilla. So um, all that being said, I think that there, there's all this like confusion in the roles, right? That really come back to the central notion of identity and um, comes back to what informs our identity. And, uh, I would also like to call the spade, the spade that we have called out. It was yesterday or two days ago, someone, random person who I have never met before in my entire life asked me if they could send me selfies. And I was like, I don't have your number for one, because I don't know you, but two, why would you send me selfies? It's just a very interesting situation. Yes. I was like, so so to me, I'm like, I, so I, I asked a clarifying question. I was like, what do you mean selfies? You know, mm. and you know, here's the part of the manipulation, right? 
it wasn't an explicit like, oh, I want to send you naughty pics. It was a shrug in an emoticon, right? You know, a shrug. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, what would you want me? You know, like, what would you want me to send? And I was like, actually, I don't know you, and I don't want you to. Send. So then I, you know, you have to be strong. And I was like, I'm trying to call this this thing out now, um, where we create these side B communities, right? Online places where people should be able to come, ask really difficult questions, and be safe and feel safe, right? And so, you know, you do your best to you create moderating situations and, and all of that, you know, to increase the psychological and physical safety. Um, and we should do that, you know, but I, I think that there is a cultural problem here that we have to um, talk about. And I'll be really messy about this and say, oftentimes the abuser is the abused and the abused is the abuser, right? Yeah. And we have to be very, very careful to make sure that we are humanizing everybody and, 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 yep. making, and, and also holding everybody accountable. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not zero sum thinking here. I'm not into, you know, false choices, but you know, exactly. you know, all have fallen short kind of stuff. But we also have to hold people accountable um, in accordance with the law of the land we live in. Right. And let God be the judge, you know, of and, and the corrector and all of that. And I say all of that to say this, that if you are an abuser or have been an abuser and you're listening to this, there is redemption and hope for you in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Right. If you have been abused, there's healing and there's restoration and reconciliation for you in Christ as well, exactly. right? And what's missing culturally for me is, and Josh, you've heard me say this before, the preeminence of the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of Jesus who shed crystal, wonderful, pure blood on a cross and then had the audacity to get up from the dead for us. Yes. And we, as a community, have the audacity to minimize that and elevate our social cultural things are problems above that sometimes in our in in our lamenting i've made lamenting our god and we have to be really really careful about making sure we acknowledge what the issues are but making sure that we are preeminently putting jesus in a place of pastoring those that are hurting regardless of how that hurt manifests yeah. and jesus is all about accountability and he's all about boundaries and he's all about hey you shouldn't hurt another right. person Right. Mm -hmm. You you shouldn't do that. So we're not going to minimize that, you know, um, and we're going to hold the entire side B community, I think, to a higher standard of its own principles, its own articulated principles. Right. Yes. You see what I'm saying? And, and we yeah. we've got to move in in that direction, which is a spiritual direction. It is not an ideological direction. It's not a doctrinal direction. It is a spiritual. Jesus is it. And there is nobody else for us kind right. of direction. And I and I will preach that till I'm dead. You know, Amen. Amen. That is, that is, ooh, that is. So come on, get your healing, girl. Come on, get your healing. Right. Bring the <laughs> come on to the water. Uh, <laughs> yep. yeah. and, Do you have any thoughts you'd like yeah. to share? I'm finding myself in this place again where you guys have all such thoroughly addressed this question. So no, I can't contribute anything to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess kind of related to what we've been sharing here is like, um, can you share a little bit about you're like after after what happened to you like after that what was your journey like from there um and uh what have been some things that have helped you like what were what are some things that happened like what would you like to share from that sure well <clears throat> so i would say that leading up to the moment that everything happened it's a terrible terrible time and it's terrible after you're in the middle of shock and now begins trauma that is very real, very tangible. Uh, unfortunately, I had prior experience, not with rape, but with uh, molestation when I was younger. And I had never received help when I was young for the molestation. I had to process that and figure that out pretty much on my own. Um, I think the Lord ministered to me in very beautiful ways as a youth and some of those ways that he grew me and impacted me, helped me as I went to this brand new reality for me. So one of the very first things I did, I, I made sure I was in a safe position there while I was still with him. And then once I knew I was safe, I grabbed my things and I left the situation. Um, let me clarify mm -hmm. too that I'm not giving any advice in what I'm about to say on how you need to go about figuring out your trauma mm -hmm. healing process. This is me sharing how I've worked through this trauma in the past year and a half. 
uh, my, my personal experience. So on my way home, I called one of my closest side B friends, that's a nurse, and cried my eyes out and shared as much as I could in the moment on the phone. And he asked clarifying questions. Are you safe? Is this happening? Is this happening? Is this happening? He did, he did his job very well as a, as a nurse. And um, I, I think it's important for me that I shared immediately. What I didn't do as a kid is I didn't share. I waited five years before sharing about what happened to me. And that did a lot of damage to my soul, a lot of damage to my social development. There are so many ways I could talk about how that was very damaging. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew that that's not something I could perpetuate again, especially at the time, I think I was 29 years old. I could not do that again. So I, I shared with, sorry, there's my redneck neighbors. <laughs> Every day. They here. <laughs> they here. It's a brevity moment. So <laughs> I, I shared with a close friend and I even had a few meetings set up that very day with pastors of mine that worked out very conveniently because I, I shared with them as well. Here's, here's what literally happened hours ago. I laid this foundation of being honest about my situation with people that I trusted, people that I knew that I could trust and lean into. Um, that was probably the first most important thing I did. Mm. Immediately after that, uh, what I wish I had immediately done was go to a rape clinic but I did not do that because my shock did not tell me that this is something smart and intelligent to do. And I waited several days before going. Um, side note about being at that rape clinic, it was in a different part of Metro Atlanta. So that way no one would know me. Uh, a much heavier, a more densely populated part of Atlanta. And I was very impacted for the three hours I was there. I was the only person there. And as I talked with them, I found out that I was only the second man that entire year to come to their clinic. Wow. And that was near the end of the year. And so that was really impactful to me about the state of men not, uh, this and this isn't a Christian situation, this was general population, mm -hmm. the amount of men that are not going to uh, talk about what's happened or do anything um, to take care of their, their situation. So I did that. Um, a helpful part of the healing process. Here's where it got really nitty and gritty for me and my faith. I I'm a missionary. I, <laughs> I'm one of those people that people at churches put on pedestals and say, look, this is, this is what it is to follow Christ. Mind you, that's not the reality. I'm a broken human being that has so many problems that I can't name them all. And uh, I never felt like I deserved any sort of um, title in my life. But because of where I was in life, I, I had the honor and pleasure of learning a lot about the Lord. And that was foundational for me. As I walked into immediately sitting in ashes and not knowing what to do. Uh, thankfully, journaling is a really important practice in my life. I, I love writing. I love writing what's going on in my, my life, my prayers, etc. So I took the time to write a very desperate prayer. You can look at my handwriting and psychoanalyze that alone and see there was something horrible happening in this guy's life. Um, the prayer itself was devastating. I used curse words I've never used before. Well, now, I, now I've used them more, but I used them <laughs> uh, acutely in that prayer. And, and that began a new process of learning aspects of the Father that I had always known but hadn't seen in these raw, real ways in, in this this new reality brought it to light for me that God is the father and protector and you just name it. Um, these, these were really important for me. So I, I sat with my journal, a coffee and sat there and cried my eyes out in public, even just whatever I needed to do, find that space. Uh, I found it. I found the space I needed to separate from my situation. I didn't talk to my family. I didn't talk to friends. I just spoke to the Lord and I told a few people I, I trusted what was going on um, in the immediate after effects. Well, the, the year, the year and a half since then, um, I, I made sure to be in counseling consistently. I highly recommend counseling to every human being ever because we all have yes. trauma in various forms. It is vitally important to our well-being, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. I don't care if older generations thinks it's not relevant. It is relevant. <laughs> we need it. So I, I went to counseling. Thankfully, my position in life, my job had very good insurance. It was easy for me to do that. 
I also want to acknowledge that not everyone has the opportunity to to seek out that sort of help or uh, my organization also gave me the space to process. They didn't immediately have me go back to the field. They wanted me to take a step back and take time to, to process. That, again, is not something everyone gets the opportunity to do. Um, not everyone gets a job that says, okay, take six months off of work. You're going to still get paid, and now you can process what's happening in life. So these are some of the, the special ways that I was ministered to by God's people and the people in my life, and I got to see him working along the, the process of my healing. And uh, the, the last thing that I guess really stood out to me, I actually left Georgia. It happened in Georgia. I didn't feel like Georgia was a good place for me to be in. So I went to Michigan. And while I was in Michigan, uh, I, I made it a point to connect with people who were going to be life-giving. I, I intentionally made some community through other people that I already knew well. And uh, whether that was joining a D&D group on Friday night or working out with a few key friends or traveling to see some other friends, they were around, they were solid, they knew what was going on, what I was processing. They knew that I, if I needed a place to simply break down or be pissy or whatever I needed, I could be there with them in that space. And that was extremely helpful for me. So those are some of the ways that, yeah. that I've been able to really work through the sexual trauma. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, really very courageous. I mean, you've done all of the things instinctively, whether you knew you were doing them or not, <laughs> you know, that are really helpful, you know, for anyone that's probably going through the situation. And, and uh, you know, community is really important, especially as soon after as you can, because trust is a huge issue, you know, once this happens. And um, you're really courageous to go and take the risk anyway, <laughs> you know, with someone that you really feel like you can trust. It's the number one thing that I would tell people to do, right, is, you know, who's in your corner? Don't go this, don't, don't go through this alone. Um, therapy, most definitely, you know, a trauma-informed therapy makes a ton of sense also. And um, a church, you know, that is a, is a healthy enough church if you're blessed enough to be in that kind of situation as well, where you can have some elder, some pastor, really look at the situation with wisdom and um, apply healing and direction, you know, and give you space, you know, to, uh, to really grieve, because there is a grieving of something. There is something, and, and Christian, you said it, there's a tearing, you know, that that happens in situations, which means that there's a there's a grieving of a part of the, you know, that we hold in ourselves, um, that is taken right. That agency is something that needs to be grieved, and then the process that you're talking about, right, where you don't forget, but hopefully at a certain point along that journey we forgive the debt, mm. right, because our debt's been forgiven, but we don't forget right, what happened as it becomes a part of the story, a part of your learning, a part of how you see God, a part of, a part of how he sees you and accepts you, right? And, um, and that is not to say you wish this on anybody, right? But it is to say that, that God is truly a, he, he's, he's an interesting miracle worker. He's a very complicated miracle worker, yep. you know, and he knows how to make things beautiful and he knows how to bring about how to sculpt beauty from ashes um and that beauty is a sculpted beauty from a place of burntness you know it's not just random beauty it's very meticulous very crafted and intentional beauty you know that he brings that he brings out of out of a broken place um the only other things that i would say that for people who are listening is like call the police if you feel like you need to go and get that support going to a, a rape clinic or going to a hospital where they can support you and helping you to assess what actually happened is also helpful if you're in your mind enough to, to really think about doing that and and also recognize it's never too late to go right you can go at any point you don't you know years could have gone by and you still can you know get that support it's a part of the adjudication process it's a part of it it, it it, it can be a part of the restoration process that people need to go through. Um, telling your story, writing it down the way that you did, telling it to someone and telling it repeatedly, you know, in places and growing in safety there. And um, 
for some people, you may want to seek um, the restitution. You know, mm -hmm. there may be legal pathways, you know, yeah. so, but the therapeutic ways, the emotional, the spiritual ways, Christian, you really talked about all of them, you know, which I knew I was, I was probably going to jump in and be like, hey, people should do, you know, these 14 things, you know, if you find yourself in a situation, you know, but you, um, I mean, God is good. He led you. It says Psalm 23 in its best, right? He knows how to yeah. lead. He knows how to shepherd, you know, and brings you to a place where he makes you to lay down in green pastures, which is even the six month sabbatical that you got out of it, right? Make you lie down in a, in a place where he, where he can minister to you deeply. It's really sweet. It's really, so, mm -hmm. yeah. That's great. That's God great. is an interventionist. Yeah. He knows how to get in there, you know? Yeah. One thing um, that, Christian, that you said that, has resonated so much, um, really kind of put some things together just listening to what you and Josh have said, um, that idea of deserving things and what we have from recovering from purity culture um, that so often, especially people that have been born and raised in church, you know, we're the good Christian kids that find ourselves in situations um, like what Christian and Josh have described um, that our purity culture upbringing gives that automatic shame of if I was in any sort of situation that this could happen, I deserved it. Mm -hmm. And if there is one thing that we say, here's a thought you need to take captive and make it obedient to Christ, is that if you have been in a situation that something like this has happened, you did not deserve it. Um, yes. That it is something that happened to you um, you don't, no one as a human being created in the image of God deserves to be assaulted and overpowered and to have something taken from them that they don't willingly give. And if you as a listener or a viewer, um, have not shared your story because you feel like you had done something to deserve it, um, you need to take that thought captive and you need to make it obedient to Christ that you are a beloved child of God who is set apart in holiness, not in filth and in undeserving and all the other things that can get piled on from just sitting in church our entire lives under sometimes bad theology. Um, that those of us who experience same-sex attractions who identify as gay are not somehow more deserving of being abused by fellow humanity because of the desires and attractions that we have that we can't control. They don't make us inherently more sinful, therefore deserving what comes towards us. And I, I have unfortunately heard people who have gone to churches and disclosed assault that have essentially been told that. And that mm. is devastating and it is destructive and it is a lie from the pit of hell. So if yes. you have attempted to tell someone and they were not a safe person, find safe people and let them know because Brandon's right. Telling your story is part of bringing it to the light. And we know that Jesus does healing in the light that if you can't afford a counselor, if you think it's too late to go to a rape clinic, if you, whatever it is that you think may be holding you back, find one person that you can trust that even if they're just going to say, I don't know what to say, but I am sorry, and you don't deserve this. To have that affirmation of the fact that um, this is not something that anyone deserves to experience and to go through. Um, and you deserve having that love and acceptance. Yeah, that's really good. Thank yeah. you for sharing that, Becca. That was good. Let's turn this thing upside down, too, in the community. I mean, you know, we got we to gotta dump out mm -hmm. the kitchen drawer, dump out the kitchen drawer, and, mm -hmm. you know, look at all the knives that are in there, you know, and, you know, not keep this covered, you know, all these yeah. things fester in secrecy and in shame. And that's how the thing grows. And the, you know, I always love to quote Brene. Here's our, here's our classic Brene Brown moment, you mm -hmm. know, that, you know, creating a hostile environment for shame, the only way to do it, you add empathy to it, right? And empathy is that inoculant, it is that thing, you know? Um, that we have to apply. But here's the scriptural verse, James 5, 17. Um, 
lay your hands one to another or on one another, right? Con con confess your sins one to another and lay hands on one another so that, and pray for one another so that you might be healed, right? The whole thing about it is confession, but confession without the connection doesn't get you to the healing, right? Mm. You have to have confession, meaningful, empathetic connection. And that's the thing that actually creates the context for the healing that we need, you know? And that is my way of being Brene Brown. Love it. We love it. We love, <laughs> we love the Brandon version of Brene Brown. She's our dream. We love her. Yes. <laughs> um, to wrap us up, Christian, last question I would like to ask you is as we talk, as we finish this up, um, is there anything specific you would, you would like to say to other survivors listening as well as like, what are some things you might want to see the side B community do whether within groups or, or individuals in order to move forward in this. Do you have any thoughts there you'd like to share? Uh, I think it'd take a while to sort through them all. I love what Becca said about, well, in speaking to the victim, um, we, we talked about the power dynamic that's often involved in, in uh, assaulting, harassing, et cetera, other people. And the fact that power is taken from the individual um, to other survivors of assault, rape, etc. You have so much worth and value. And the Father loves you so much. We can talk all day long about the gospel and the beauty of Christ taking our place for our sins, etc., he came to capture our hearts and draw us close to him. He, he feels the pain that we feel. The Father's heart is grieved by the evil in this world, and that evil includes the pains that we commit against each other and the things that are committed against us. Sin is sin, and the Lord calls it that. There are no qualms about whether or not this is sin. He doesn't have to sit there and figure that out or sort it out. He knows You're loved. You have value. He's going to minister to your heart one way or another. So that's what I have for the, the other victims. Um, the other question was about uh, to is the side B. Yeah, if there, is there anything you'd like to see within side <clears throat> in order to kind of address this? I got kind of militant in the past year and a half when it came to um, faith. And when it came to speaking out against evil. And what I mean by that is in the sense of, I think the church as a whole has sat on its hands for far too long in many regards. It's heartbreaking when you, we hear in the news scandal after scandal after scandal of the church as a whole committing atrocities sexually or otherwise. Because my experience right now is sexual trauma, that hits much more acutely for me. I was devastated to read about Tamar being raped in the Old Testament. That was something that hit me in a whole new way recently when I went back through that. And I had to sit there and pray about my anger towards David to God. A man they called after his own heart, yet I didn't see any indication of David doing anything to take care of his daughter. And so I have the same attitude towards the church right now. <laughs> I don't... I, I think it's probably, I, I pray that it's a holy and righteous anger that we actually need to be intentional that if we claim to love the Father, if we claim to follow Jesus Christ, he has called us to pick up those crosses. He's called us to follow after him. Following after him is a radical shift. It's a 180. That's going to require that we also call out the bull crap in the community, uh, whether it's IB community or the church in general, and we have to stop hiding it under the rug because we cannot be a healthy community when things fester as Brandon mentioned. So my, my encouragement to the side B space is that I've, I've been frustrated and grieved in the past year and a half to see that there are almost zero resources created by the side B world right now that speak to trauma, sexual trauma or abuse within the side B community. As I've mentioned this topic to people in side B spaces, they feel sympathetic but they don't know what to do about it. So I think it, it's going to start with having these earnest conversations and being willing to get nitty and gritty mm -hmm. with one another. 
cry it out, fight it out, but we also have to call it out and cut it out. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of outs. Yep. Out. Well, thank you all, especially Christian. Thank you so much for, um, sharing your story. This is, um, something that I honestly think that this episode is going to impact a lot of people. And, um, it's only because you are willing to share your story in the way you are and just being able to have this, that we can do this. And, um, as always, Becca, love having you as a co-host, everything, you know, all of it. And Brandon, thank you for coming back, sharing your Brene Brown wisdom with us. We're, we're blossoming. We are blossoming. That's it. We'll end on that. We are blossoming. We are blooming. Yes. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks (laughs) for being here. Um, everyone listening, thank you for listening so far, like to this episode today. Um, if you, if this was impactful, please share with us, um, write on our email, um, on our website, follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of that. We'd love to hear what you thought. Thank you to patrons who chose this as the topic. Um, it's a much needed conversation. Um, so we are really glad, as you said, this is the beginning of being able to get resources out there within the side B space, being able to have these conversations as Christian said. Um, so follow us there. Um, we will be back next for another conversation and we will talk to y'all later. Bye everyone. 